My name is Matthew Wayne Selznick, and this is Sonitotum, episode 28. Hello, my friends. Sonitotum, if you didn't already know, is the podcast where I talk about making stuff, finding success, and staying healthy and sane in the process. All from the perspective of an experienced beginner, because things are always changing in the independent creative world. So we're all always beginners. Today is December 17th, 2020, as I record this. It's a Thursday. Cloudy, overcast day here in the lush and lavish studios of MWS Media in Southern California. Actually, it's not a cloudy, overcast day in the studios, but rather outside of the studios out there in the world. I'm not, this time, recording outdoors. Sometimes I do. (laughs) I made a joke, ha 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 ha, on Twitter that I I would have to take like a little 15-minute meditation break before I got into this podcast, so I would have the right mindset because of the angsty, angsty, angsty environment in, well, let's face it, maybe the world right now, but certainly where I live. For those of you listening 15 years in the future, (laughs) um, believe me, that's not impossible. I uh, have people listening to my first podcast, and that was 15 years ago. To those of you listening in the future, we're smack dab in perhaps the worst part of the pandemic of 2020. Again, uh, at least if you're in the United States, and in particular in my part of the world, it's it's worse than it's been ever at any point in the year. So I feel kind of hunkered down. I feel kind of stuck. I feel kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, a little bit like things like... <laughs> podcast about making things and being an independent creative uh, person, that that's, you know, uh, kind of inconsequential. But then I'm reminded of not just my own advice to myself, but also good advice from others. And I will try to track some of those others down, have them in the show notes. But the advice is this, look, Creating is always essential, no matter how bad things are in the world, or perhaps especially when things are bad in the world. The world needs art. Whether it's, you know, something that's deep and meaningful, a commentary on the times, or simply, and I say simply, but I don't mean simply, escapist entertainment. Art matters. Art's important. Art serves a role. And I have to remind myself of that when I see artists dying unnecessarily from this pandemic. When I see my own environment, my town, my county, to some degree, my household, not directly, no one here is sick, don't get me wrong, but we're all existentially or directly affected by these times but us creators, we creators, sorry for the, the grammar police out there, we have to keep making. I've talked about my big plan in podcasts past. I've got to stick to it regardless of what's going on because it's important. 
it's good work. And whatever work you're doing, you got to keep going too. Now that's, that wasn't intended to be the topic of this episode, and I, I'm not going to make it the topic of this episode, but as a great man once said, enough said, yeah? The actual topic of this episode, something I've been hinting at and thinking about and promising for a few episodes now, is world building. So what is world building and why, why do I want to talk about it? Well, I gave this a lot of thought because when somebody says, uh, oh, a lot of world building went into that movie or game or work of fiction or what have you, usually what they're talking about is all those little details that make it seem like a fully fleshed out setting, a fully fleshed out environment. And a lot of times it's referred to in the context of science fiction or fantasy or comics, uh, that kind of thing. But I think that world building is not restricted to a genre. It's not just Tolkien's Middle Earth. It's not just George R.R. R. Martin's Westeros, right? It's not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? World building happens in all kinds of narrative fiction. So I finally figured out sort of a broad, overarching definition for world building. And, and those of you who do world building out there, and I think we all do, and I'll get to that in a minute, let me know what you think of this. I think of world building as the act of codifying the foundational elements contributing to verisimilitude in fictional narratives. So that kind of covers everything. That covers the politics in A Song of Ice and Fire as much as it covers the politics in... Uh, <laughs> and I've stuck myself because now I have to think of a, a political novel or, you know... <laughs> <laughs> there's no script here, folks. If you're just joining us, uh, there is no script. And also by us, I mean me. Whew. Yeah, I can tell, sidebar, uh, that my vibe is off, that the tension and stress in the environment is bumming my flow. But let's get through this, yeah? Because this is, I think, you know, might be interesting to you. So world building, right? It's all those little details that go into creating the illusion that what you're reading, what you're watching, uh, the video game you're playing is as deep and has as rich a backstory, if you will, as the real world. I remember the first time I read Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen way back in the 80s, putting it down and kind of half expecting to see elements of that experience on the front page of a newspaper. To be able to go into a, a, a store and actually buy nostalgia, <laughs> the perfume, it became like a shadow or a tint over the real world for a brief time, but for a time. That's because of the world building that Moore and Gibbons put into that remarkable work. The little details about culture and history that are just enough that it feels real. Now, that's a work of science fiction, roughly. You know, you could also see it in a television sense that's not genre. 
Think of the world building that goes into a soap opera. Yeah. No, hear me out. Like, for example, The Young and the Restless. There's two big corporations in there. They're rivals. Jabot Cosmetics and Newman Enterprises, maybe? Run by two different families, except, of course, there's lots of cross-pollinization in, in every sense of the word. But you know that on this soap opera that, that has been around for, heck, maybe 40 years... You know that somewhere in the show Bible are details about, for example, Jabot Cosmetics. Who's the CEO? Who's the CTO? Who, who does this? Who runs that? Where exactly in Genoa City is it located? You know, how long does it take to get from Jabot's headquarters to the country club? <laughs> I, I, I would imagine that all these things are worked out because, see, it doesn't matter if you never actually learn these things in the show, the writers have those elements at hand, number one, just in case you do need to know them in the show, and number two, so that a character could even just say something in passing, oh yeah, I'll be there in 15 minutes, because the writers know how long it is from one point in this fictional version of Genoa City to the other point in this fictional city. That's an example of world building in a non-genre environment. You know, I think of, uh, I just recently learned this, kind of doing some little bit of research for this podcast, that the, I think it's Sue Grafton, her alphabet series of mysteries all take place in the same town. You know that story Bible is thick with details, probably a, a map of the town, locations of, of specific stores and where characters live. I don't know for sure, but I would bet you that she's got a massive, Sue Grafton has a massive story Bible keeping track of all that stuff so that she doesn't mess it up from one book to the next. That's world building. I do a lot of world building. In fact, I've gone through years where I've done more world building than writing, which is, again, I'm going to get to that in a second. <laughs> I hope I remember all these things that I keep telling you I'm going to get to in a minute or a second. I have three story worlds that I work in uh, or have worked in at any length and a fourth that is waiting in the wings. The Sovereign Era, which is sort of my what if there were people with superpowers in the real world story world. The Shapers world, which is sort of my fantasy setting and the location of my, my latest novel, Light of the Outsider. My Dai Kaiju Universe story world, which is similar to the Sovereign Era, but instead of superheroes, it's what if giant monsters existed in the real world. And the fourth setting is sort of a noir occult kind of thing that I've only got one short story in so far called Cloak, if you want to find it on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to plug. Of course, I'm going to plug. All four of those story worlds, I have done world building to one extent or another. In the Sovereign Era, which is uh, the setting for Brave Men Run and Pilgrimage and The World Revolves Around You and other short stories by myself and others, there are well-defined classifications for the different levels of metahuman ability. That's an example of world building. There's a whole fictional town in Brave Men Run and Pilgrimage that, while it's based on a real-world city, 
differs a lot. There are companies and organizations that were invented for that setting. Um, and of course, and this is, you know, kind of inside baseball, but there's a whole cosmology behind the sovereign era and the shaper's world and Daikaiju universe and that uh, noir occult story world. There are cosmologies unique to each story world. And, and this is no big secret for longtime listeners or longtime friends and fans. There's an overarching umbrella cosmology that unifies them all. I've worked all this stuff out. Much of it you may never actually see on the page, but it colors the stories that I tell. It directs the rules of each world. Doing this kind of world building, doing this kind of thinking about the setting applies constraints that ultimately engender a higher level of creativity. You know, when you don't have any rules, when you can do anything, well, you can do anything. But when there are rules and guidelines to the world that you're writing in, then you're kind of forced to think a little deeper so that everything makes sense and ties together and is internally consistent. And that ultimately results in a more enriching, more engaging, more engrossing work of fiction. It adds to the verisimilitude, right? It feels real because it's not just anything goes. The rules are consistent. World building is how we go about creating those rules. Even in my non-genre work, my, my so-called literary short stories, they all kind of take place in the same world, and there are overlapping characters that I have to know the, the histories and backstories for. Similarly, for Light of the Outsider, and this is a practice that I'm going to be doing for all major works going forward, before I wrote a word of the outline for that novel, I spent time kind of free writing the backstories of each of the seven major characters, all the viewpoint characters. And in doing that, in kind of freewheeling, kind of discovery writing each of their, their histories, I learned about the world. I had to ask myself questions. All right, well, in this world where major timber forests are off limits to the species that the characters are all, all belong to, the Magan, if they don't have access to big timber forests, where do they get their wood? Is wood more of a rarity, a commodity? Do the Magan have tree farms? Probably. In fact, yes. Are most settlements built either near unrestricted wooded areas, rare as they might be, or near areas where other building materials are readily available, like clay or stone? And the answer is, is yes. And that led to one character's backstory involving a brick factory. We'll call it a factory. Because maybe there's lots of clay and lots of straw, but not so much wood. 
in Light of the Outsider, the characters go to a location and one of the characters is stunned to see that there's a big building there that is built almost entirely of wood. And it tells him, whoa, this person must be rich. If I didn't work out the details of, of the sort of the interspecies politics of this world, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have any reason to think that something as everyday to us as wood is rather rare to them. You see what I mean? It adds color. Another character is part of a, a fishing village or, or was. And so I had to think about what does that mean for the culture, the politics of the government, the international politics, all of these things worked out in advance so that when characters face a challenge, when characters remark about something, everything in their world is colored by these various things. And it takes world building to figure all that out. I submit that if you write fiction, whether it's for short stories, novels, serials, series, comic books, movies, TV shows, transmedia experiences, theater, interactive narratives like video games, you are engaging in some degree of world building, regardless of genre, regardless of theme, doesn't matter the kind of book. You're doing world building, I bet you. Unless you're... <laughs> the only possible exception I could think of is if you were writing some sort of uh, contemporary historical fiction where you're really just taking the actual historical events and fictionalizing them. The world's already built for you in that case, right? But think about borderline historical fiction like the uh, Highlander books, right? Or even something like The Handmaid's Tale. Considered literary fiction. Of course, it's also science fiction. Dystopia, right? Whether you're writing a full giant thing or one novel, world building takes part. And here's another element to world building that I want you to consider. And this is something that honestly is probably my primary driver for being uh, so interested in and so deep with the world building that I do. If you build a world, so to speak, if you do what Tolkien called sub-creation to the degree that you've got this vast canvas, right? This storehouse of raw material that is not necessarily part of the narrative. You have a resource there. You have what I've called in the past the foundation for a personal franchise. Now, some people call these shared worlds. Let's say we take one of my story worlds like the Sovereign Era. Now, I've got plans, all told, for five novels. Two are written. But because I've created such a rich world with an alternate history that spans from the late 20th century into the early 21st, and could potentially go beyond, and definitely goes beyond, 
before <laughs> the events in the novels, because that's all there, other people could create stories in that world. I could potentially license that world to other writers, to game developers, who could then create new narratives in a different media. You see what I'm saying? If you do your world building and, again, codify those foundational elements of your world, then you have the raw material to create this personal franchise, which then leads to another phrase near and dear to my heart, your creative legacy. You've only got so much time to tell so many stories, right? But if you leave behind a world rich enough that others can look at your records, look at your notes, look at your story Bibles and say, ah, yeah, everything's right here. I could tell this story about this and that story about that, things that the original creator of this world either didn't get around to or never even thought of. World building is, or should be, could be, for writers, one of the prime ingredients to feed your entire career. I've got enough stuff to do in the shaper's world to keep me busy until I'm 60 years old, seven years. And then I've got enough stuff in the Sovereign Era and the Daikaiju Universe story worlds to keep me busy until I'm 70. Easily. But there's so much more in both of those worlds, or all three of those worlds, that could be told by others. Think about your own writing, you writers out there. No matter what media it is, if you are creating narrative fiction, think about the story world that you're creating, that you're detailing in the process of creating your works. Are there nooks and crannies that you're not getting to in the works that you're creating that could be, and I use this phrase in the, in the most constructive way, that could be exploited by other creators that you could license to other creators or hire other creators to do, to tell stories, you know, in those nooks and crannies about, I call it budding. Sometimes, you know, where you have a character, a minor character in one work who perhaps leaves the scene in a novel, doesn't come back until later for whatever reasons specific to that novel. What happened to them while they were off camera? Is there a story there? Is it rich enough that it could further add to the lore, if you will, of your setting, further explore a theme? Go deeper on a theme that, that maybe is only touched upon in a primary work. That's budding. Rather like a coral reproduces by budding. You have opportunities within your primary works to have other stories bud off. If you're world building, if you're thinking in terms of a personal creative franchise with deep, detailed world building, if you're thinking in those terms all along, then you'll find yourself with a collection of materials that lends to this sort of functionally limitless opportunity. So on the net, on the web, did I just say the net? What am I, 53? <laughs> on the web, on the internet, <laughs> there are a lot of communities for world building, and they mostly focus 
on science fiction, fantasy. They also are strongly focused on or influenced by or to do with role-playing games, because that's where a lot of world-building takes place. People who play role-playing games have to literally build a world if they don't buy one outright from, you know, one of the TSR or TSR, I am 53, uh, Wizards of the Coast or whatever, whoever creates the world, uh, the the role-playing game. Either these role-playing aficionados are adapting an existing licensed world or they're building their own. So a lot of the resources you find about world-building are directed to role-playing game enthusiasts. There aren't a whole lot of world-building resources, especially communities, that are specifically dedicated to writers of any media of any genre. I belong to a lot of these groups that are strongly fantasy-oriented or strongly science fiction-oriented or or focus strongly on a sort of a subset of world-building, which is fantasy cartography, you know, making maps of places that don't exist. I belong to a lot of these groups, and none of them that I can find are really just for writers of narrative fiction. So I made one. I did it on Facebook, and I know that's not ideal. That's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not even my cup of tea, necessarily. But like it or not, at the moment, it is where just about everybody is. And I've learned the lesson many times that you kind of have to go where the crowd is, not the other way around, right? So I've created a Facebook group called World Building for Writers. Now you might be able to get there just by searching in Facebook, but because it's so new, I don't know how easily you'll find it just by searching. But you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash worldbuilding for writers, and it'll take you directly there. If you're a creative writer of narrative fiction in any genre, in any media, then come by, join the group. The idea of the group is to learn and to learn from and to share, open to any genre. The idea is we're looking for sort of the the hive mind, the rising tide, all boats, all that business. The more of us who are in there doing a wide variety of creative work, different genres, different media, different interests, right? enough of us are in there asking questions, we're going to learn from each other and and our worlds will be richer. So if you're on the Facebook and you're looking for a world building group that's not necessarily, actually not, (laughs) intentionally not for role playing games or online role playing games or gaming of, of really any kind, except I would say perhaps interactive fiction that you might find in video games. If you're looking for something more focused on the writer of novels and short stories and serials and comics and movies and television shows and plays and that sort of thing, maybe check out World Building for Writers at Facebook. And uh, I could see you there. All right. I hope this has been interesting for you. I hope if you are a writer who engages in any kind of attempt at verisimilitude in your works, that you'll be interested in hanging out with me at World Building for Writers. If you uh, have a favorite world or you're, you're trying to create or have created a, uh, a deep, detailed setting yourself, I'd love to hear about it. 
As always, you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, episode 28, on the uh, page for this episode at mattselznick.com, or you can go to sonatotem.com, which will take you directly to the podcast page on mattselznick.com. You can always email me at matt at mattselznick.com. You could leave a little voice recording that I can then play on the show. You can email that to matt at mattselznick.com. That's M-A-T-T-S-E-L-Z-N-I-C-K.com. Let's talk about world building, either in the comments for the show notes or over at World Building for Writers in Facebook. Let's talk about it. If you enjoy Sonatotem, this episode, any episode, future episodes, if you plan on enjoying <laughs> Sonatotem, <laughs> I hope you'll consider writing a review and leaving a rating for the show at Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Sonatotem is available anywhere you get your podcasts. So please rate and review. Ratings and reviews, they help raise the visibility of the show, which ultimately leads to more like-minded folks subscribing, listening, and the party gets bigger. Speaking of subscribing, that's the best way to make sure that you get new episodes of Sonatotem as soon as they're available. Subscribe to Sonatotem wherever and however you get your podcasts, whether it's the Apple Podcasts directory or app or my personal favorite podcast addict on the Android platform. However you consume podcasts, Sonatotem is there. Please subscribe. Okay, that's a wrap, I think. Probably no new episode until, uh, I'm going to guess, early in 2021. So, wow, we've been through it, haven't we? This year has seen a lot, but it's also seen the return of this podcast. Kind of a ride-or-die commitment to a creative life that I've uh, recommitted to. I hope that everything else that's gone on this year, I hope that as much as possible, things have uh, slipped by and not directly affected you in this pandemic, in this election year, in this year of police shootings and so much. Uh, well, you know, I don't have to tell you, it's been kind of a shitty year, but there are elements there are always elements in our personal history that we can look to as wins, as triumphs, as steps persistently in the right direction. I hope as we all do this uh, obligatory look back as the year turns, I hope that you can find some wins in your rear view and that the path ahead is full of success as you define it in your creative endeavors. My name is Matthew Wayne Selznick. Take care.